0: Welcome to the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland Well-being series. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the founder of Real Talks, a former Cavan GAA player, an author, and a performance and well-being coach with sports and business leaders around the world. In the coming weeks, some of Ireland's most inspiring people will support the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland Well-being hub by talking about important life lessons and exploring various strands of well-being such as depression, grief, resilience, and confidence. I'll also be sharing short wellbeing masterclasses that will explain how mental skills can help live a happier, healthier life and give practical tips on how these mental skills can be implemented on a day-to-day basis. Check out the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland Wellbeing Hub at sosadireland.ie forward slash realtalks and you can also search for Real Talks on whatever podcast platform you prefer. For the first episode of our new series, I was joined by Rory O'Connor, more commonly known as Rory's Stories. Rory explains how he worked through his mental health struggles to become an online sensation, a stand-up comedian, and a published author. We talked about failure, fear, self-awareness, authenticity, and much, much more. Before we get to that conversation, I just wanted to remind all our listeners that SOSAD Ireland is here to support you and your mental health. SOSAD Ireland provides support and services free of charge, To people who are struggling with suicidal ideation, self-harming, bereavement, depression, stress, anxiety, or if you simply need to talk. Please go to sosadireland.ie to learn more about services like counselling, crisis support, 24-7 helpline, and text messaging services. If you are in a crisis situation and need urgent help, please call 1-800-901-909. That's 1-800-901-909. Thanks for listening. Rory, thanks a million for joining us on the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland series. I wanted to start with, I suppose, you're, you're Rory O'Connor, that's who, how I know you. But most people know you as Rory's stories. And I wanted to jump right back to tell us where that came from, how it started and where did it develop.
1: It's a long story, really, but I suppose the the nuts and bolts of it is, you know, I, I, I was struggling myself back in twenty thirteen with kind of self-doubt and 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 addiction, kinda of mainly to gambling. And uh it brought me to my knees as I said and and I asked I reached out and I asked for help, um, a man called Jerry Cooney from Rutland Center who I uh got in contact with via Andy Mckinney the ex-mead manager, and he sent me that direction and I had a chat with Jerry. And the key thing I took from the conversation, which I, I've spread now myself to schools and companies around the country, is about the uh, addictive personality, how it can be used in a negative and a positive manner. And he said to me, you need to find something to fill the void, find something you're passionate about. And... I'd been doing so many jobs, like, you know, trying to be an electrician, useless, you know, working in an in insurance company, useless, working in call centre, not very productive, all this. But making people laugh was something that, that I always found natural. Like, you know, whenever I'd meet people and I was in their company, I just, being myself, I, I, I seemed to make them laugh. It, but I never thought it was possible to do with it until I was at my lowest and... I said, well, you know, comedy and acting and, and that kind of stuff is something that, you know, I, I need to pursue at this stage because I've tried all the stuff I don't like and I wasn't good anyway. So I wrote Rory stories on a piece of paper in 2013, started to do uh, writing blogs about myself and it led to a Facebook page called Rory Stories in 2014 where, as you know, started to do the GA sketches, which was a great platform for me because, one, I'm massively passionate about GA, but it was a kind of a market that was there for the taking. Like, you know, no one had really delved into proper GA clubs and the characters within so me and my iPhone, iPhone four, and, and Paddy Murphy and a couple others that I could get my hands on went down to the Dunham or Ashburn Club and and just started recording these little short clips and putting them on Facebook and people started to enjoy them and yeah I suppose the rest is history after that really like
0: so like and just from listening to you there Ori, like you 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 were struggling in kind of a low place yourself and initially. Your escapism was coming from the likes, if it was gambling or alcohol, as you said, and through working with a counsellor, it was kind of that redirection or resetting you to focus your energy on something positive or, or or good. And like I'll come back to the other stuff in a minute, but in terms of the comedy, like do you remember then, like what what the first video you put out was? Then you kind of you'd done a couple of the written pieces. What the first video was like, and kind of what the reaction to that was.
1: Yeah, I remember. Well, the first one I ever done was in January 2014. Um, I got a friend of mine to come up and stand in a corner with a camera. And we were just after training with the Dunamore senior team. And I said, lads, I have a set of jerseys there. Would you mind just sitting in the change room and just, let, I'm going to let on that. It's half time, the county final. I'm just going to come in and I'm going to tear into would you. Would just mind? You're like, oh, Rory, you're mad. And I was like, I know I'm mad, but would you just give us a dig out? So... I kind of put on my, my funny looking hat and my, my green socks pulled over my tracks of bottoms and very little script just a couple of points in my head and went into this change room and let loose at the lads and one hit one or just bang um, put it up online the next morning and you know kind of as you do and it's just trying to get a little bit of uh, uh, traction but, but then uh joe and, and balls which you know would have been but well, still are prominent but especially them were big they they got a hold of this and said uh check out this this ska- ga sketch and from then it started to like make a bit of noise like that was my very first one I' done and um you know I still look at it now and like it's 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 not the worst one I've ever done but obviously you, like anyone you change stuff in it like but but it was just perfect because it was just an explosion of madness that were associated, as you know yourself, with the GA and these characters. So that was the first one Alan I done, and I suppose the penny dropped when I seen the reaction to it. That hold on a minute, like the GA world is there for taking. So what I done was every Saturday I I go down, I'd film three or four, and I'd put them out throughout the week. Like I I, I was doing them as as quick as I could, as fast as I could, because I knew like you know um, other people might have done them like. Luckily enough, back then, there was very few people doing s- social media content. Like, you know, now everyone does it, like TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. Everyone and their dog does, does social media sketches. But back then, there was very few. So it was a great opportunity to kind of get in as quick as you can, lay the foundations and kind of and, and take it from there. And that, that's definitely what I don't like.
0: And back then, Rory, like, it was very much, was it just yourself with a couple of, like, on a phone? Like, there was no, like, production or big editing. It was just kind of capture this raw and just kind of, and get, as you said, like, get it out as quick as you could too, was it?
1: Yeah, like, my opinion is, like, you know, you can have all the best equipment you want, but if you haven't got the material, no one cares. Like, and that's what worked. Like, even to this day, I still use my phone and edit an editing app on my phone. Like, you know, I, I don't do as many sketches now because I kind of have other uh, priorities and stuff like that, but... Uh, when I do, I use my phone, and and I, you know, the, the quality of phone, like you know, it's. I look at my YouTube channel, and there's some of them original, like Junior B full forward or Dirty Cornerback back. They have like half a million views on YouTube, and like the, it's like I recorded on a spud, like you know, there's <laughs> the, it's it's embarrassing the quality, but that's that's all that was available eight years ago. Yeah. You you know yourself, Alan. Technology has has grown massive legs in in the eight years. Like the phones we have now, like I've a. I have a, a Samsung. Uh, I think it's S twenty two Ultra, like top of the range, and the camera on it is absolutely unreal. Like, it's as good as that. And so, that's the only thing. Like, you know, back then, but again, no one cared about the quality because what mm. I what they were watching was real life scenarios. So, um, so that's kind of the way it was. It was just very raw and ready. Like,
0: yeah, because I feel like obviously I'm familiar with the stuff as well, Rory. Like, and there's a rawness too, And it's but it was very much coming from your kind of heart and your brain and. Like, even in terms of wearing your heart on the sleeve, I'm just thinking of like, was there any part of you that was afraid or like worried about asking the lads to sit down with you and do that first video? Like, taken from a, coming at it from the perspective of you're coming out of a place where you've been struggling, you've been in with a counselor, you've had like an intervention or kind of someone's helping you along, but then to go and make that jump to saying, hey, can I have all you people here? So you're almost doubly putting yourself out there, whereas. You know, let's say people like, oh, you're if you're in no mood, like we're going to build it up gradually and we're going to get you doing like little things bit by bit. But that feels like you did quite a significant jump, or you kind of almost jumped in the deep end, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose um you know th- that's the thing. with, I suppose when you when you hit rock bottom, which I felt I did back then, was that there's nowhere else to go, and you kind of have a good strong foundation to start. So I kind of said you know i've nothing to lose here like you know what i mean i'm never going to feel as bad as i did outside that casino when you know suicide was strong in my mind like i i, I you know that that's gone out of my head and yeah the 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 the, the well being is still very much high and low but what i learned about uh, it, that is like once you adapt the attitude of like you don't care like you know and throw yourself out there like it took me probably five or six years to really understand that whole ignoring haters like i'm very good at it now and i can say that wholeheartedly like you know i'm really good at it now and there was a stage like all all of us where you'd be reading comments going like what, what, what like if you don't like it don't read it and you'd be wanting to respond but because now i've experienced that and I, like you know i've been online for the last eight years I, I see comments about myself now and i just have a really good theory that you know, it's it's their issue, it's not yours. Like there's something within their soul that they haven't accepted that they're struggling with, so they want to put hate on you and that that that's a fact that and the psychologists tell you that. So once you adapt that mindset, you're fine. So I suppose throwing myself out there early doors, like I, I didn't mind that too much. I always had that madness of a character, you know, within me from my early days. So I wasn't that afraid to fail, like you know, I wasn't really afraid of uh you know, obviously in the early days, like you know, I'd be sending the videos WhatsApp and to a few friends that would I trust their opinion on because we all want to be reassured in life. That's 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 what we crave as humans. So, just you know, even though I knew what I made was good, I'd send it to two or three, maybe a cousin or a mate, and they come back saying, "Oh, that's bang on, Rory." And then I put it online just a bit of reassurance, like you know, um, which is normal enough for human behaviour. Like,
0: no, totally. Um, and then, like, as that kind of journey moves forward, Rory, like. You start, so you're posting videos regularly and that's going out there like at what point did you did it click with you that okay this is something i could do as a career or make a living out of you know
1: yeah no i know what you mean so yeah i was working in cpl uh recruitment at the time and um around 2016 and um, they were offering redundancy and uh you know, I, I remember thinking like the redundancy they were off me was basically six months wages. It wasn't that mental, but it was six months. And I said to myself, right now, if you're ever going to take the plunge, already take it now, because I had six months, you know, uh, of paying, paying the rent and I had a few GA clubs lined up, you know, for a few gigs that would cover a few expenses. So there were like, I, I won't lie in I don't I don't wanna sound in any way arrogant or cocky, but I know what i have done a lot of people just wouldn't do, like, you know, and, 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 and I know that and and everyone everyone thought I was mad, like, you know, uh Barr, my kind of wife, was the real one. was like, no, I believe now and, and like and I don't i I I, I can understand why people be looking and going, You're just making a couple of videos online, how the hell are you gonna make a living out of this? But the most important thing was my gut feeling, and this is what I do talk a lot about in a lot of my talks, is like your gut feeling, I believe, is your steering wheel to your destiny, like where you're meant to go. Like and I've become accustomed with listening to my gut feeling and picking it over fear, like because fear is, is as you know, is the number one uh that will stop any potential dreams or uh reaching your goals. It's not really failing. So I had that mindset and I just kept thinking when I left in 2016, right, six weeks at a time, once I had six weeks lined up of whether it be, you know, a gigging or a bit of um, maybe, you know, uh, you know, uh, what you call it, promote, promoting stuff online, like a bit of a wage, that once I had that for six weeks, you know, I'd be okay and... I'm six years now, you know, doing that, and I still have my six week. You know, that's the thing with being self employed; you're always on your toes. Like, you just have to be like, you can't just sit back and relax and say, "Right, I've made it." Like, you know, you you, you never make it; you just keep plowing on. Like, um, so that's kind of what I do. I still have my six weeks, six weeks, six weeks, six weeks, and once you have that attitude, you know, you know, you keep going. And as I said, it's it's it stood stood me six years, and you know, my my career is definitely at the strongest now than it's ever been and, and the only way is up because I, I've been through the gutter and I know you need to just have the hard work and the resilience to keep going and that that's kinda of what I do like.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important point that you've raised there, Rory, like, cause it's so easy to say, Hey, we jump on a podcast like this here. And I say, we say, Oh, you're posting videos, you start doing that full time. And then you have a tour, you've written books and everyone's like, Oh, that's, you're flying it. That must be easy. But like, you've kind of alluded to there, like the self-employed thing. You're always responsible for your next paycheck, ultimately, and then breaking it down into smaller goals. And I, what jump said, I'm, what jumps out to me from what you said there Rory is like that idea of trusting your gut and because there's loads of times where doubt will creep in and I'm sure it did creep into your head Rory and then you also alluded to there's lots of times in life through no, through no ill will that people around us will doubt us too or say what do you doing? stay in the safe lane or stay in that, in that comfort zone stay in that job talk to me a little bit more about that balance between kind of self-doubt that you feared and your gut and navigating those kind of the the ups and downs of of the journey that you've been on because i think it's important like when we do a conversation like this that we acknowledge that like journeys aren't just linear upwards they're not just flying upwards there's like ups and downs to it and i'd just be very interested and curious about your perspective on that
1: um yeah like it is an interesting kind of story so i've kind of always had my back against the wall from a young age because of school you know i i was one of them that struggled in school and Recently, like as known in the last number of weeks, I've been officially diagnosed with dyslexic and ADHD. Like I wanted to kind of go and see a professional and and figure myself out, and I've learned an awful lot about myself and. It's funny when the psychologist is explaining, you know, why you're like this. You feel very sorry for the younger person that, you know, that's in you, that was put through the education system that was certainly there in the 90s where, you know, you're expected to learn at the same pace and if not, you're kicked out of class. So I suppose I accepted from a young age that I was just stupid and I wasn't good enough. And unfortunately, I had a couple of teachers that kind of rammed that home with me. Like, um, so... I've always been fighting that inner voice, like, you know, and I still do to this day, that voice that tells me I'm not good enough. Like, um, it's a voice that's very much pays rent inside me. Um, but I've learned to deal with it now. I, I've learned that I'm the boss, not you. Like, I'll acknowledge you're there, you know, I I I, I you know you're there, but I'm the one that's going to make the decisions. And, like, that show that I was on last year, the Ultimate Hell Week on RTE, that really came to the fore of that because, you know, People just seeing this fella that was broken with no sleep and no food and all that, which he was. But what I seen was a 10 year old boy in there that's, that's, you know, deep down still has that scar from his school days of not being good enough. So that's kind of why uh, I suppose one, I I have that work rate within me is because I'm never good enough, you know, and it's something that I'm trying to get better at. And um, adhd you know as as a diagnosis you know you learn a lot about that like the positives of that is your impulsive behavior where if you like something you're all in so that can be a positive and a negative but also it's it's count it's dealing with your highs and lows like you know so for me, like with the ADHD, what often happens to me, which again, I'm working on at the minute is so say, for instance, tonight I have, I'm going out with the lads or I have a big match or there's a big event on from literally six o'clock in, the, in that morning. I'll be wired to the moon. I'll be a nightmare to be around. I'll be hyper. I'll be rubbing my hands. I'll be, you know, energy will be going through me. I'll be trying to, uh, regulate myself. I'll be on a mad one. And then what happens is by the time the event comes, I'm burnt out and I'm depressed. Like, um, and I really got a brilliant insight into that uh, a few months ago. Myself and my father and my sister booked um, the Fury Brothers over in uh, in in in, in uh, Minute there it was. And I was buzzing, I'd never seen a massive fans. And that morning, I you was know, going for a few pints with my dad and my sister, a bit of dinner, the Furies. I was, you know, really leaping around the kitchen, like really hyper- and by the time the concert come on, my sister turned to me and she said, "Are you all right?" I was like, "Oh, I don't even want to be here." And she's like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah, I just, you know, I'm just flat. I'm, I, I, I'm burnt out." And for a long time, Alan, I would have turned to drink to get that pull myself back up. So you do the get ja- it back. yeah, you do the Jager bombs and all, and then you're back in that, you know, false high if you want to call it. And then the next day, you're just depressed for two or three days. So I'm becoming more aware. So when we left the concert. I literally went over got a bag of chips, and I went to bed. Like so, I'm just becoming more self-aware of, of, of mind and my mental health as best as I can. And that was a good example. And even now, like I do struggle with that when I feel myself getting hyper, it's trying my best to keep a lid on it. Um so it's interesting, you know. Um so that's kind of where a lot of a lot of my personality comes from and just learning more about myself. But it's fascinating when you do listen to these professionals and a a lot of your life struggles start to make a bit more sense to you, do you know?
0: Yeah, because it sounds like like without going into the full detail of it, like I think like in a in an ideal world or if you come at it from like a, a grand vision, like a school system is meant to like build us up and empower us and develop us. But from what you've described there, it almost like feels like it broke you down a little bit or left scars or left cracks in terms of yourself and your like your development as a person, did it?
1: Yeah, nail on the head. Well, I listen, I firmly believe um that I think it's getting better now, but certainly during our time. It, was, it does more damage than good in a long term of a human being. Because what is school? School is an education, but school is also to develop young people to be the best they can be. That's not the case for an awful lot of people. Like, you know, I'd say 40% at best, but there's the 60% that go through school not understanding they're lucky enough to eventually find what they're going to do but a lot of them you know fall through the gap and turn to addiction turn to gambling turn to cocaine turn to alcohol and just accept that they're not good enough why are you not good enough Alan O'Roury well school told me I'm not good enough because I tried really hard and I failed my leaving so I failed that exam so you know, if I do anything on this planet, like one of the main goals is rattling that cage a little bit. And I know, listen, Rome wasn't built in a day. But you know, if 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 I can use my 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 power and my social media presence to make noise about the education system and. You know, not have you know as many Rory sitting there in school, you know, feeling shit because they don't understand what the teacher's saying. Like, and, and that's not what they're meant to do. Well, then, job done. And it'll probably take a few years. And you know, I firmly believe in thirty years' time, you're gonna have people going, "What? You were all sitting in a classroom twenty five years, expected to learn at the same pace? What? Are you for real? Yeah. That, that, and what, what happens if you weren't? If you if you if you had ADHD? Oh, you were just kicked out of class you're just told to get out of yeah. class, you know, it's just mind boggling. So that's kind of one of my main goal, I have to say, is kind of letting people start to understand that as human beings, we're not getting the most out of school uh, as, as a whole. I don't believe so, anyway.
0: And then, like, you on your own journey, you Rory, say, going from that young kid that's in the classroom, like, have you found, like, a through your teenage years and then as you got into an adult, like, you've had to like rebuild maybe some of the confidence that was knocked back, some your self esteem, um, even just your acceptance of yourself. If you're in an environment, did you say, where someone's saying you're a tick or you're struggling or you get out of the classroom. Has that been something that you've I suppose that you've had to rebuild of those like those kind of things?
1: Yeah, like and it's it, it can be a long, a long process as you can imagine. Like, you know, it's a, a, a two two steps forward, one step back, you know, because I really do believe, like, from a human being perspective, that the ages 5 to 12 are vital. You know, I really do believe they're vital and they nearly are the foundation of your mindset going forward. And yes, we can can learn and we can rebuild, but I think them years are vital. So it's hard to rewire them completely, but you can certainly work on them and... I suppose in my early days, Alan, football was definitely a, a, a good help because I was, I, I, one thing I was, was I was f- much more physically bigger than most lads. So football was was an outlet and it came easy to me because, you know, I was bigger and stronger than most lads and I had a presence on the football field. So that kind of gave me the bit of confidence that I might have lacked in the classroom and I'm sure plenty of lads can and and girls can relate to that it's kind of like it's like their place to be like you know I might I might be good in this environment but I I can excel here so that certainly helped me in my teenage years like especially getting on the under 15 and 16 team to eventually uh, captain in the county minors you know at my own age was massive for me because it, it, it. You know, I was so. You know, I was sorts in the classroom, but the football field gave me an identity. Like I was, I had a, I, I had a bit of a reputation. I was known, and I, I was doing something positive. You know, I was making my, my my mother and father proud. My father like, had a son that was, you know, captain of the me, meat minor team. And so my school days, you know, kind of were starting to be, you know, gloss over a little bit. Thankfully, I wasn't just this little bollocks in, in the school. Like, you know, there was a little bit, there was a little bit of good to him. Like, you know.
0: No, 100%. And like that, like that journey, I suppose, like that's one outlet that you had. And like, that was a positive. And then, like if I'm able to jump back because we touched upon it earlier like you're as you then go through your teens you're trying to rebuild and football is one area where it's a positive and helps you kind of grow and feel acceptance or feel belonging and give you a purpose but then because I know you spoke about this before kind of the next chapter of life you 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 are struggling in, t- in terms of yourself and what you're doing from a mental health perspective from a well-being perspective and you touched upon it earlier about in 2013 and I was going to say if it's if it's okay with you, if you could kind of jump back to that phase, Rory, in terms of that block of your life, kind of what was going on there in terms of kind of why you were feeling why you think now you're feeling that way, I suppose. Um and how you how you move forward from there.
1: Uh yes, yeah, so I suppose like once I left school, you know, Big Bad World, any job I'd done, Alan, I just wasn't good at. Like, you know, I I, I struggled like like physically. And mentally to do electrical work, like I didn't have a good pair of hands in me for wiring around like that, and then the, the theory was poor. Then it led on to working in, you know, working in in uh, in Quinn Insurance. But again, I I'm dyslexic, which is what I found out, which I always knew, but now I I've figured out, you know, why I struggle to. So basically, when I'm reading, I can't take in information. It's just something there's a blockage there that you know uh, was real struggle for me. So my personality helped me wing it as best i could like you know i was to kind of you know good crack and and good good to be around and all that kind of stuff but the reality of it is the physical work i was useless at. and and so there was this there was a seed in my head there all the time being like you actually are useless like the 10 year old boy in, in in facing the wall in school so that i kept going back to you know your are useless and then I got redundant in, in uh, 2010 from Direct, and I went to Australia and had a great year. Then I come home and there was a recession and the best I could do was get myself a job in a call centre. I remember going in there miserable every day, being like, this is you, Laurie, because like you know, all your friends are either qualified tradesmen. You know, they're they they have a a degree in college. They're they're becoming successful. And here's you, 25, 26 years of age, you're working in a call center for minimum wage, and and that's it. Like you know, you're not going to go to build side. So, so I could never see myself being successful because. You know, I just wasn't good at, but I, I knew deep down the gut feeling that I I never listened to like to an extent was in there and just waiting to be released. There was inner potential there that I was just didn't know what it was. So to bring you forward then, two thousand thirteen. So the gambling was an issue. I started kind of when I was sixteen and. Like most lads, like down the bookies, like three or four team accumulator the weekend. Then that, that buzz, like again, the ADHD, the impulsive behaviour, like the addictive personality. So if I like something, I click I, I onto it. So I love that rush of putting a bet on, like most gamblers do, that kind of sense of like, you know, that little bit of buzz. Or, so I became addicted to that feeling. So I would have struggled with gambling for late teens, early twenties, until May 2013 came along. That was the kind of, everything exploded. And, uh, it came back to football like we were knocked out of club senior championship that year and we were favourites to win it Uh I won the favourites to win it and we just caught cotton hop and we were knocked out so that was my football gone and during them days it was my only purpose as I said I hated my job but I had the lads that done more to train on a Tuesday and Thursday and I, I, you know they were close friends and I loved their company and I loved uh, going out to battle with them and all that kind of stuff um, and that was taken away from me so I had nothing else but my call centre and then the next day I went into town and drinking flat out in and out of bookies, in and out of the pub, ending up in the nightclub that night and all the lads were there having a the crack, but I I didn't want to be there. I lied and said I'm going home, but I wanted to go back and gamble. That addiction, you know, kicking in again, I needed another fix. So I made my way to a casino. Uh, I took out my last couple of hundred euro and I lost on a roulette table. Uh, that was it, you know, having a penny in my bank, hadn't a penny in my pocket. A real sense of rock bottom was, was kicking in and an overwhelming sense of, you know, I read your book, The Time You Were Walking Home, that just over overwhelming feeling of, of, of negativity. And I walked outside the, the casino and, you know, the negativity was so strong in my head. Like, you're useless, you're a bad father, you're a gambler, you're stupid. You always knew you were stupid. And this was just me versus me. That's all there was. There was no one telling me this. I was telling myself and like no problem saying suicide was very strong because I just felt that there was nothing for me Um, but I suppose uh, one thing that entered my head was I had a cousin that took his life when I was a teenager and I remember the ripple effect that had on everyone and still to this day it does and you know, I, I I didn't want to die. Like, you know, I think that's a lot what you say with depressions, I didn't want to die, but I wanted the, the, the pain and the negative voice to go away in, in my in my head. Like, you know, and I know you can relate to that. So, um, so anyway, uh, the sense prevailed and I took out my phone and I rang my girlfriend and very upset. And I go home in a taxi and next morning my father came down. We had an open conversation and I accepted that, you know, I am struggling and I need help. And that's where that's where Jerry Cooney came into the equation and, and that's where, you know, where at the start of the chat I, I spoke about, I met with Jerry and about my conversation and then Rory's stories um, came along then a few months later and that was kind of like my saviour. And I suppose that's why, like, you know, yeah, there's what, probably a million people following Rory's stories on social media now, but back then, even when I only had 2,000 people, I was raising awareness on mental health. Like, you know, I was trying to use my platform for anyone else that's in my position, you know, to maybe read something or watch something. Now the video we obviously made on the GA perspective of mental health. So yeah, it's just, it still to this day is obviously a massive passion because I know what it feels like to be outside that casino or to be up in your bedroom or to be crying your eyes out, walking home from your town or whatever. I, mean, I know what it's like. And that's why I I try and use the platform to kind of help others kind of, see what can happen when they ask for help and um, they can reach their kind of potential you know what i mean and that's kind of what, what i'm about like
0: no totally and i think that's something you should be really proud of and you do a great job at and mixing that sense of comedy and rawness and like fun but also with like meaning, messages of meaning and substance and i mean genuinely just thank you for that snapshot of an insight to that experience obviously i know when i relate to it very very well unfortunately too but one of the things that jumps out to me Rory when you're in that kind of mindset of Joe, you know where that I suppose your self-talk becomes so negative and it's just like this intense like it's almost like a self-loading session that it's a hopelessness and a and a darkness and it's like I suppose normally I'm just trying to I'm going back to my own experience of it well it's so intense in that moment it's normally from a series of weeks or months of negative self-talk or self-feelings that have bottled up um, and they've existed in you and I feel like you mentioned there like say football was removed so that was one of your positive escapisms gone and then the you, you kind of lean into if it was gambling at the, that time because that gets you out of your feelings but I suppose in terms of that like negative self-talk and reaching out for help how How important was the relationship of reaching out for help in terms of breaking down that self-talk, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, well, once you have it out there that you do suffer, like, you know, once you actually get the words out of your mouth and once, you know, you've accepted that you do and it's not just you versus you in your own head, Like, there's people there to help you when you're dipping. Like, and obviously my wife would be, would be brilliant for me like and what i say to a lot of lads on building sites especially is we all have a mental health toolbox but we never open it or we're too ashamed to open it and like what's in that toolbox talking about my well-being uh, understanding my triggers exercise diet alcohol intake drug intake all this kind of stuff that can that can help you and once you open up that toolbox the first time and accept yeah i need help it's easier to go back to that toolbox and ask for that, that help and, and use the trigger so like I do often say to all the people I speak to is like I'd love to tell you since 2013 that my life is unreal and every day it's sunshine and rainbows and I have little bunny rabbits hopping around my feet every morning no, like the depression still kicks in and kicks out but i'm just i'm just aware of it now and i'm very my self awareness i think is 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 extremely good nowadays because i'm understanding myself more and more what leads me to dip is there a reason why i'm dipping how do i get out of that? do i need to talk do i need to you know watch what i'm eating do i need to sleep more you know do just anything to make sense uh, and sometimes you can't make sense and you, you just need to batting down the hatches for a day or two and, and but once you know you're not alone like that's key like once you know that people are there to help you and that you know you know, there's a great saying by Denzel Washington if you can tame the devil within the devil outside you can do no harm and that for me is is key like is is once I can control negative Rory you know I can control anyone outside of that uh, outside of, of, of my own uh, head like so that's kind of what I've learned all along but it's the the key thing is 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 accepting, you know that yeah okay I I I do have my issues and it's okay, you know it's it's it, as the old thing goes, it is okay not to feel okay and it's all right to struggle and I think this macho man I'm grand I'm grand you know them days are whittling away and it doesn't make you any less of a man or any less of a person if anything it makes you stronger like, um because unfortunately you know with depression and anxiety and these these words like you know it's not a choice like you know it's not like you know and that's why i used to sick my arse years ago and people would say sure what would your mom be depressed for a lovely house lovely car lovely wife lovely family you know everyone likes them all this shite but like that's what you see but they're they're fighting a whole different battle in their own head like and and that's the reality of mental health and and, and depression and that's what you know we're trying to break down you know, as best we can for for younger people coming that can accept that they are struggling whatever kind of walk or whatever they're doing, like
0: Yeah, and like what I like about what you said there or you say the mental health toolbox or toolkit people can use different languages. Like ultimately it's kind of about we'll all have thousands of thoughts every day and then we'll have so many feelings, some are good, some are bad, but you're talking about just being able to make a choice or choosing a simple thing or something that can help you at that point. Because I feel like, listen, you've alluded to it and I have too, like, particularly from a male perspective, often at the beginning, we choose the wrong things. Like I know myself, I could hold my hand up and say, I basically did everything you're not meant to do, drank the head off myself, stayed in bed all day, didn't go to college, like just all the stuff you're not meant to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um. And I feel like it's important just kind of raising that conversation because too often like the male stereotype is to drift into, it's, it's. you can go to gambling or alcohol for escapism. But what we're talking about here is finding something more proactive that can help even just a little bit talking to a friend or a family member. like So you did it with your dad. My conversation was with my mom. That ultimately then brings you to a health professional, a mental health professional that can help point you in the right direction. And I suppose... When you were, when you met him, Rory, did you meet him for a chat? Did you do like a couple of sessions of counselling? Kind of what was your... So you hit your rock bottom. You talk to your partner in the night. You talk to your dad the next day. You go get help. Was that like a... Was it a once-off conversation? Was it a couple of sessions? Kind of what was that part of the journey like?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I just met... I met Jerry once out uh, physically out in uh, Red Cow Roundabout Hotel. And the pointers he gave me, he said, with all addiction patients, we start off here. And then if you need, we go here, here, and here. So what he gave me was enough. And then a few phone calls over the next few days and weeks was enough, thankfully. Okay. Because I was lucky. I, fa- I found Rory's stories, which was which was my void. Some people don't find that, you know what I mean? And I was lucky to find it. So I didn't need to go into the Rutlands to do, you know, a, a session in there. or I didn't need to. It was just a couple of tips off. I am I, one of the lucky ones that had that, Um kind of something to escape into so that kind of work for me it was enough it was enough direction of jerry for me to get up to get up and run with, with, with my passion like you know
0: no it's amazing and that's i feel like it because it is important to say here as well like you know there's it's not a one size fits all with any of this stuff and um, with depression with anxiety with mental health like what works for you might not work for me what worked for me might not work for someone who's listening to this but it's about kind of finding what does work for you um And I suppose then I'm just curious from moving forward with that, Rory. So you find Rory's stories. Now you have a place to put that energy in, to put that creativity in, that sense of purpose. Like how important was that in your kind of, if you want to use the word rehabilitation in terms of rediscovering yourself, your recovery? How important then was that at that point for you?
1: Yeah, it was massive because, like, you're right, the purpose was the word. I, I finally, away from football, had something that I was interested in and that I, I, I had a passion about. And I suppose a massive um, uh, turning point for me was when I, I said I'm going to write a book about the GA because I wanted to kind of have something physical to look at whenever the demons are at me about being stupid. I wanted to have a bit of proof that you're not stupid, Rory. You're after writing a book. Stupid people couldn't write a book or whatever. And I, Like, I know, it's, I don't believe anyone's stupid. I really don't. Like, I, I just believe, like, you know, there's just certain things you find hard and certain things you find easy. So stupid is is, is an easy word to just ask your stupid head in him. Well, he's only stupid at this, but he could blow your mind with something that he or she is good at. So, but for me, I just wanted to do the book and and once i'd done that book i kind of now it's still there like you know the the voice of uses, but not as loud as it, as it once was um you know I, I i when it comes into my head i fairly kick it out because of the proof i have now like with with my achievements and uh, the first book definitely was a real kind of a you know something to be proud of and something to say you know what you're not stupid and, and anytime it does creep in I look at the book I'm like no you're not like so that definitely was was certainly um, a big moment uh, in my career anyway
0: yeah it sounds like the book's almost like you only go to your doctor's office and they have the little cert up on the frame as if to say to you hey you, I, I'm definitely a doctor I have this here yeah yeah um, yeah yeah
1: that's kind <laughs> of
0: what yeah no you said it yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and then even just thinking of it Rory like I know like you that term, like, you know, you're called stupid. Like we've I, we've all been in school and heard someone else call someone stupid. I'm just kinda as I'm listening to you there, like that's you, you're talking about those strengths and those weaknesses and kind of helping I suppose someone become more self aware and understanding themselves. But I suppose for us as people, with people around us, we misunderstood or misjudge people too, right?
1: Yeah, like again, again, not completely bashing the education system, but that's a perfect example of it. Like, you know, I'm considered stupid because I can't, you know, do long multiplication or I can't do. But how important is that in the real world? Like, we we have calculators. Like, we've no time to be getting a pen and papers anymore. So, you know, all this emphasis on algebra, like, like probably 4% of people in school use algebra in their real world. So it's just, again, going back to it, it's a bit silly. But even with confidence, like, I was speaking to a fella who's a a mental health nurse, and we were chatting about confidence, and he made a great point. He was like, but, like, what people don't understand is you're not just confident. Like, there's only certain parts of you are confident. Like, we're, we're all not confident. Like, you say, Jesus, he's very confident. Or say... Jeez, Rory O'Connor's a very confident fella. He can stand in front of 100 people and, and talk and, and it doesn't bother him. Yeah, but if you ask Rory to come in and do something simple like put an IKEA, you know, shelf together, my head'll explode, like, or Rory, sit down and read that passage there. Oh, geez, no, no, sorry, I, I just, I've no confidence. So confidence, you know, people think he's a very confident person, but only confident in their field that they find natural. You know, and that's what young people need to understand is that, you know, you don't have to be confident in everything and you don't have to be shy at certain things because that's human nature. So confidence is very, is a very wide net. Like, uh, I think so anyway, like, you know.
0: Yeah, no, and like, in terms of confidence, like, I would do, like, in my line of work with sports people, with business people, in terms of that confidence, like, to that point, like, I would always describe it, like confidence as someone's belief in their ability to get the job done and, um, like to successfully execute a task or a behavior and like none of us need to be able to do everything as you're kind of alluding to it's but it's about what's important to you or what you're what you want to be good at and then working on that if it's preparing for it doing it reflecting on it in terms of how to get better because I feel like you kind of have to start there saying like we sometimes presume that confidence is this all-encompassing thing where you have it in all aspects of your life but it's actually hey what are my strengths build my confidence in that. And then whenever you're not good at, hey, some of the stuff you can work on and get better at, but as you said, with algebra, some of the, who cares? Like, you don't need yeah. to get better at it. Um, maybe from a skill perspective, you're trying to scrape through exams or whatever, but actually in the grand scheme of things, um, it's having confidence or building the confidence and stuff that's important to you. And I think that's kind of what you've done with Rory's stories. It's kind of being this this guiding light or this north star for you to kind of put your energy through, grow your confidence there, and I'm sure it's, or it sounds like it's spilled out then into other areas too, Rory, has it?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And again, going back to kind of like with, with confidence, it's like what, what skill they should be is finding out, right? Alan, Alan starts school at five and Rory starts school at five. By the time they're 18, Alan and Rory should have a fair idea of what, what they are good at, you know, and what they're not. Instead of being like, oh, I'm, well, you know, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that. So it's, it's having the confidence to, when you do find what comes natural, is having the confidence to say, I am good at this because mm-hmm. this is what I'm good at. And it's, 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 it's a thing that Irish people have struggled with for years and is accepting that oh, no, I am good because it's not cocky. It's just no, like I can tell you what I'm not good at, but yeah, this is what I'm really good at. And, and oh, you're very cocky, aren't you? No, I'm not cocky. I'm just saying I am because. It's what I, I, my gift from God or whatever it may be is. And that's the important thing is, is, is sharing that, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, me going up on stage or delivering talks or or, or, or just having conversations with people. That's my gift, like, and that's something that I have no problem saying. Oh, yeah, no, give me a mic and throw me in there and I'll do that. No, but I feel like because it comes natural to me. Uh, but people go, geez, he's some confidence. But like I said earlier, like, yeah, but throw me in a different environment and I have zero confidence. Like, so, um, yeah, that's kind of how it is anyway.
0: Can I ask you then, Rory, like, going back to that night in 2013 when you hit your rock bottom and, like, so you, 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 you make the call to your to your partner who is now your wife and... Um, you get to talk to your dad the next day, and then you find your purpose in terms of meeting Jerry, Rory's stories created. I just kind of, what would you say to someone who maybe feels they don't have someone to call on that night, Rory? Or maybe they're during that moment and they don't have a person that jumps straight to mind, or they don't feel like there's somewhere to reach out to. Do you have any advice? Or if someone's listening to this that maybe is feeling that way or has felt that way, what would you say to them?
1: Yeah, well, it do, it doesn't have to be someone very close to you, i.e., a partner, a friend, or a mother and father. It can be like anyone you feel comfortable. But as long as you 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 do share what's in your mind to anyone, it doesn't have to be like I'm sure. Like postmen can tell you stories that God, I only deliver you know a, a bit of post to Joe Blogs, and one day he just broke down to me, and I I never seen it coming and. And it it was amazing, like, you know, hearing a fella that I thought, you know, was, you know, nothing wrong with him, breaking down about his well-being. So it's at any moment in time, you know, where you're feeling that low, anyone, you know, anyone you need to talk to can make a huge difference. So it doesn't have to be the anxiety and fear of being someone close to it. It can be someone you only Mm kind of know. And there's an interesting one with that because, like, when I'm going around the country, whether it be in a, in a pub or, or wherever it may be at a gig, the amount of people that come up to me and give me their story about their depression and, and stuff like that and, you know, open up to me really is amazing because the, the the reality of it is when I'm in Ashburn, very few say that to me because they're thinking, oh, that's Rory. Like, I know Rory all my life. I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable, but... These people around the country just see, oh, there's your man from Rolling Stories. Like, sure, you know, he's into mental health. I'll, I'll, I'll get off my chest to him. Like, and that's what I find fascinating because they know I don't know anything about them. They're just using me to kind of get it off their chest. And obviously my response is, okay, you need to talk to someone who knows you about this and give them my own few tips and obviously make it very clear that I'm not a professional. I'm not a trained psychologist. I'm just giving you my own opinion from my life story. And I do that with all the talks I deliver. I always say, listen, I'm not a professional. This is just my experience and my scenarios in life. So, um. So talking to anyone can help, really, is what I'm trying to say. Like,
0: No, I totally agree with you. And I suppose at this point of the conversation, too, I do just want to say that, like, because I've been that person, too, on a night out before and someone has come up to you and it's kind of like a dump, like, or like and they have a few points in them or they have a few drinks and it's kind of like they feel like it's their time to offload. And I suppose if you are in that situation, like... I suppose it is important to talk to someone maybe who you trust or that's in your circle, but also if you feel like you don't have someone, like we're, this whole series, this whole project has been produced with SOSAD Ireland, and if anyone wants to, they can go to sosadireland.ie. There's a helpline there, 1-800-901-909. That's 1-800-901-909. And if you go to the website, there's chat support. There's all types of support there that if you do feel you need someone or somewhere to talk to, um a space like that is going to be much more helpful than on a night out where it's kind of bubbling up and genuinely if it's bubbling up on a night like that i would encourage anyone that it is time to go talk to someone and to start as you've as you've already explained just breaking that down and kind of opening up to kind of start digging through it and moving forward just as you look to kind of as you head into kind of the last part of this chat rory um I just wanted to, talk, like, in terms of, we've talked about writing the books already and I, I'm kind of curious, like, if, if I was to jump back and say to your 10-year-old self that, hey, by 2022, you're going to have three books published, um, about to publish your fourth one, what do you think your, your younger self would have said?
1: Ah, yeah, it's a question I get asked all the time. Um, <laughs> excuse the French, but I could hear him saying, well, fair f***ing late Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, but I uh, know, um, yeah, like, like, I I kind of, there's a great saying I heard before, is uh, be the person you needed when you were younger. Like, you know, and that's who I try to be every day. Like, you know, when I was 12 or 13, you know, I'd love to have had myself to look up to as, yeah, you're still that mad headbanger lunatic didn't get mm-hmm. on well in school, but you've proved that if you put your mind and it, it's possible, and that's why I, I love going to 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 do the talks and schools because you know the first thing I say to the students is you know tune in like because what I'm about to say to I wish I heard when I was in school when I was your age you know it's just a refreshing uh, perspective on 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 a success story like so um yeah no it is it's kind of like even when I go back to my school I go back often like and I walk through the corridors and it's a, it's a weird it's a weird feeling I can nearly see my my 14 my year old self sitting outside the principal's office and you know you know if I had of went ahead you know and, and taken my own life Alan like you know this never would have began, and like I'd like to think no more than yourself I've had an impact on, on a lot of people and their well being over the last number of years and you know if I wasn't here to do that I I, I mightn't have helped them people or I would, couldn't have obviously helped them so that's a kind of what I try to say to people is by you accepting your struggle and the amount of people that you can help as well without even realizing because it's all a battle. Like you know, it is like some some people, you know, don't have any mental health issues and 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 you know that's I'm delighted for them as they say. Like you know, it's a uh, but some of us do like and some have a one percent battle and some have a hundred percent battle and. Thankfully, overall, I'm pretty much pretty in control of my battle. I win most battles with myself, but there is time where I am very low and I do need a little bit of help, i.e. maybe a chat with someone like, you know, the likes of Jerry or, or my wife or someone just to pull me back into the game, but that, that that's what it is. It's just highs and lows uh, all the time, and I always say, enjoy the highs when you're feeling good, embrace. And then when you're feeling low, just know that it's not going to be like that forever, like that, you know, the sun will come back again. Like, and that's kind of how, how my life is, to be honest with you. like?
0: Yeah, and it's like you, use, you using that self-awareness, or to kind of manage and maintain rather than, you know, the kind of going from, you described earlier, as like those real highs, then straight down to lows and that kind of real spiky existence and trying to actually manage it into... I usually I would call it like gradual curves where yes, there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days, yeah. but it's kind of more in a in a buffer zone as best as best as you can. And one of the things I was curious about was like someone like yourself, Roy, who's been so open about this and so honest about it. In some ways, does your your career in terms of putting yourself out there, being like front face and internet face, and does that make does that challenge you in some ways in terms of that doubt, in terms of confidence? There's you talked about like comments coming in earlier. Is that is that hard for you in any way?
1: Um, yeah, listen, like, no one likes to hear, you know, people reading comments saying you're useless or so you're no good. And, but that's fine. Like, it, again, like I said earlier, the first few years, yeah, there was that kind of looking at comments, being like, oh, why, are, like, like you know, you try and do, do it and try and make people laugh or whatever, like, you know. But now I've become very mature, like, I really haven't. I can read a comment about myself and I won't I won't pay a second rent in my head. It's gone, like, you know what I mean? And um, I've just become good at that. And it just a psychological point of view, it's kind of like their opinion is just their opinion. It's not fact-like, you know? And because, like, I've been on the road so many years doing what I do, I have loyal people now that, that genuinely enjoy what I do. And they kind of, I feel like they have my back, like, you know, you've kind of... You've worked hard over the last few years to bring a lot of laughter, especially during the pandemic. I would have spent a lot of energy throwing out uh, short skits to keep people smiling. And you just, Irish people are great in a way like that. Like, you know, when they're good, they're good. When they're bad, they're bad. But they're definitely, I feel there's a connection with the people that follow me. And I'd like to think that any of them that I've ever met out and about, you know, I'm exactly like they would hope, just a normal fella that's just doing what he does like and that's why I remain to be. And I do feel there's a connection there with them, like, um, even though a lot of it's online obviously, but I do meet a lot of them around the country and, and uh, you know, they're they're a hundred percent and I kinda give them as, as, as much time as I can because, you know, I was just a decision away from not doing what I do, like, and that's why every day for me is is, is a positive for sure, like.
0: And then last question before I kind of wrap up on what's ahead for you for the next couple of weeks, Rory. Like, just in terms of, because there'll be a lot of people listening to this will have had feelings of, I spend too much time on my phone or I want to get off my phone or that online versus offline. How do you manage to kind of maintain that balance between your online work and world versus like, your offline world and work, if that makes sense? <laughs>
1: yeah it's the million dollar question it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult battle for us all especially if if your life is social media uh, or to an extent so what I do is every now and again when I feel myself dipping or or I, I i'm nearly craving negativity to feed my my negative voice, I just delete my social media for three or four days like you know I know that's a, a cliche and all but it it works like it's just you know if it if, just if like it's like a reset a reset if it's on my phone, like you know, we're all we're all addicted to phones. I before I know I'm in Instagram, I'm in Twitter, I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Then I put it down, then twenty minutes out you're doing the same thing again. So out, out of sight, out of mine. So what I do is I just go in, pop, uninstall, pop, uninstall, gone for, for two or three days. You think you're missing something, but you're not, you know yourself, you're not missing anything. Like so that's my go to is you know, every now and again, just just uh, get out of that world and just you know live in the moment. And I, it, it's funny. The minute I uninstall the apps, I nearly feel a weight off my shoulder straight away. Like you know, um. So that's kind of what I do. I know it's probably what a lot of people do, but I, I'm one of them that it definitely works for me because you're in control of it. Then you know, if it if it's if it's having more of a negative than a positive impact, then you get rid of it. You know, just simple as that. Control the controllables That's what I say. Like.
0: No, that's it. Because it sounds like that's just like a simple little circuit break for you then to kind of stop the negative spiral. But then even if you go to check it, your brain kind of has to go through two or three hurdles then. So I've got to go into the app store, find the app, download the app, log back in. So there's kind of like three or four hurdles that can help you stop getting there if you need to. So I think it's, it's a simple, but it's a really important step. And then just as you finish up, Roy, you know, look, listen. As we record this, you're about to head off on tour for, say, six weeks. You're going all over Ireland. You're doing shows everywhere. Um, you have a new book coming out, which is a lockdown look back. I suppose as you get ready to get back on the road again, how are you feeling about that?
1: Yeah, no, I'm raring to go. Like it's been obviously three years. Uh, we all want to forget, like certainly in entertainment. So. Yeah, listen. Uh, same old, same old. Like you know, I'm. I'm as we're recording this, I'm two days out for my first show, and as I said, to be off the call. Like the, the anxiety is starting to light fire in my head. You know, that's it's all part of the game. It's all natural. You know, if you don't if you don't feel that that feeling of 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 sickness, you know, you're you're in the wrong game. It's like you know, before a big match, you know that feeling well and that kind of racing. Am I ready for this? Uh, am I good enough? Am I able to do this? And it's just getting out there and, and, and like going back to football getting your hands on the ball first first time takes the pressure same on stage minute you get your first laugh you're, you're settled into it and you're, you're, you're away and you know it's only when you're in the middle of it and you're enjoying it you say to yourself this is why I do this this is why I, I, I go through the, the, the fear and, and the negativity is for this feeling so yeah, I'm raring to go. Like, I have I've, I've, a nice uh, mixture of a show between comedy and conversations with special guests and then a bit of a sing-song at the end, um, typical Irish night out. So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to getting out there and, and, and getting on stage and telling a few stories again. Yeah, I have definitely have a few stories built up from the lockdown, so I hope they're uh, nice and relatable and funny to people in the audience, like...
0: And then, that's a perfect... The last question, just as you said, telling stories there. You also have so your four books coming out. You've done Rory Story's Guide to the GA to be an Irish. You've done Rory's Story, all about your life, your journey, which you very kindly shared about us today. So just give us a little nugget kind of around what the, what the lockdown look back is about, Rory, and then for when it's coming out for anyone that would be interested in getting it?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's looked back on the lighter side of the pandemic. Like, you know, it was inspired by, I put up a Facebook post uh, the day Hall, Martin told us we basically free. And uh, I, I said to people, you know, I remember back in the days where, you know, you had to stay within 2K your house and we thought that Guinness was starting to taste nice out of a can and we had to talk to a guard if we left 5K outside of our house, all this stuff. And then the amount of comments that filtered in from people telling their lockdown stories was just comical stuff. And it just led me to inspiration to kind of, geez, you know, I could get a book here. So I started to kind of contact uh, a few people that wrote the comments and they were happy to put in the comment. And then, yeah, I started to write myself about the restrictions and, you know, non-essential, essential. And it's only when I was writing the book, Alan, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we actually abide by these rules. Like, you know, and so... Uh, so yeah, I I got a, I got a book out of it. Um obviously listen, I, I, I didn't I wasn't totally humorous. I touched on the dark side of it, which was people who lost loved ones. Um, you know, even my own wife was in hospital for eight days with COVID during the tick of it. So, you know, I obviously touched on that. I wasn't full on laughter, I know, because it, it can be very very dark time for people that would have lost someone with COVID and, and you know two or three people at a funeral and all this kind of stuff but above all it's, 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 it's comical so uh, it's out it's in pre-sale or pre-order now it's out the 20th of October and I just hope it's a perfect little kind of stocking filler for Christmas, for Christmas this year for people to kind of pick up you know, open a glass of wine or whatever, a cup of tea, and read back on and look back on them crazy days, and hopefully it gives people people a good laugh because at the end of the day, laughter is the medicine for the soul. Like so, um, so that's the plan with this book. So hopefully, it gives people a bit of a giggle.
0: Savage, thanks a million, Rory. And look, before I let you go, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much for your openness, your honesty, uh, and no pun intended here. Rory, thanks very much for sharing your story. Uh, you know me; I love a good <laughs> pun. and um, just best look with everything going forward. I really mean it. Thank you for being part of the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland series. It's a project that's going to reach so many people, help them in different ways, and it's all about just sharing perspective and experiences. And I think what you've talked to us about for the last hour or so has just has added so much value. And I just want to say thanks very much.
1: Yeah, no, bother, Alan, pleasure. And it's actually kind of lovely and fitting because the first ever. Gig I done like proper stand up was in my lo- one of my local pubs in Ashburn and all proceedings went to so Sad, uh believe wow. it or not. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a nice fitting kind of a a, a full circle. So that's that's true. Yeah, a girl contacted me saying she's doing a comedy or a night in Molly's Bar for SoSad and would Rory stories do a bit of entertainment? I said yeah, I would. So that was back in 2014. So yeah, here we are eight years later. So uh, yeah, that's that's a nice little nice little roundabout like.
0: It's perfect way to end it Rory You're a gent Thanks so much
1: Thanks Alan Cheers Gluck.
0: Thanks for listening to the first episode of the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland wellbeing series In the coming weeks I'll share more helpful and supportive information about mental skills that can empower you to live a happier healthier life and I'll bring you more powerful conversations with well-known faces Make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes by subscribing to Real Talks on whatever podcast platform you prefer or by going to sosadireland.ie forward slash This podcast was hosted and produced by myself, Alan O'Mara. Audio was mixed and edited by Jack Deacon, a plural video and design. And the music is from an original track called Everyone's Alright by harpist Mary Kate Boylan. Thanks for listening.